Epilogue, Part Two of Two Years Before the Mast. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Years Before the Mast by Richard Henry Dana Jr. Epilogue, Part Two. The next morning we found ourselves at anchor in the Bay of San Pedro. Here was this hated, this thoroughly detested spot. Although we lay near, I could scarce recognize the hill up which we rolled and dragged and pushed and carried our heavy loads, and down which we pitched the hides to carry them barefooted over the rocks to the floating longboat. It was no longer the landing place. One had been made at the head of the creek, and boats discharged and took off cargoes from a mole or wharf in a quiet place safe from southeasters. A tug ran to take off passengers from the steamer to the wharf, for the trade of Los Angeles is sufficient to support such a vessel. I got the captain to land me privately, in a small boat, at the old place by the hill. I dismissed the boat, and, alone, found my way to the high ground. I say found my way, for neglect and weather had left but few traces of the steep road the hide vessels had built to the top. The cliff off which we used to throw the hides, and where I spent nights watching them, was more easily found. The population was doubled, that is to say, there were two houses instead of one on the hill. I stood on the brow and looked out toward the offing, the Santa Catalina Island, and nearer, the melancholy dead man's island, with its painful tradition, and recalled the gloomy days that followed the flogging, and fancied the pilgrim at anchor in the offing. But the tug is going toward our steamer, and I must awake and be off. I walked along the shore to the new landing-place, where were two or three storehouses and other buildings forming a small depot, and a stage-coach I found went daily between this place and the Pueblo. I got a seat on the top of the coach, to which were tackled six little less than wild California horses. Each horse had a man at his head, and when the driver had got his reins in hand, he gave the word, all the horses were let go at once, and away they went on a spring, tearing over the ground, the driver only keeping them from going the wrong way, for they had a wide, level pampa to run over the whole thirty miles to the Pueblo. This plain is almost treeless, with no grass, at least none now in the drought of midsummer, and is filled with squirrel-holes and alive with squirrels. As we changed horses twice, we did not slacken our speed until we turned into the streets of the Pueblo. The Pueblo de los Angeles I found a large and flourishing town of about twenty thousand inhabitants, with brick sidewalks and blocks of stone or brick houses. The three principal traders, when we were here for hides in the Pilgrim and Alert, are still among the chief traders of the place, Stearns, Temple, and Warner, the two former being reputed very rich. I dined with Mr. Stearns, now a very old man, and met there Don Juan Bandini, to whom I had given a good deal of notice in my book. From him, as indeed from every one in this town, I met with the kindest attentions. The wife of Don Juan, who was a beautiful young girl when we were on the coast, Doña Refugio, daughter of Don Santiago Arguello, the commandant of San Diego, was with him and still handsome. This is one of several instances I have noticed of the preserving quality of the California climate. Here, too, was Henry Mellis, 
who came out with me before the mast in the pilgrim and left the brig to be agent's clerk on shore he had experienced varying fortunes here and was now married to a mexican lady and had a family i dined with him and in the afternoon he drove me round to see the vineyards the chief objects in this region the vintage of last year was estimated at half a million of gallons every year new square miles of ground are laid down to vineyards and the pueblo promises to be the centre of one of the largest wine-producing regions in the world grapes are a drug here and i found a great abundance of figs olives peaches pears and melons the climate is well suited to these fruits but is too hot and dry for successful wheat crops towards evening we started off in the stage-coach with again our relays of six mad horses and reached the creek before dark though it was late at night before we got on board the steamer which was slowly moving her wheels under way for san diego as we skirted along the coast wilson and i recognized or thought we did in the clear moonlight the rude white mission of san juan capistrano and its cliff from which i had swung down by a pair of halyards to save a few hides a boy who could not be prudential and who caught at every chance for adventure as we made the high point off san diego point loma we were greeted by the cheering presence of a lighthouse as we swept round it in the early morning there before us lay the little harbour of san diego its low spit of sand where the water runs so deep the opposite flats where the alert grounded in starting for home the low hills without trees and almost without brush the quiet little beach but the chief objects the hide-houses my eye looked for in vain they were gone all and left no mark behind i wished to be alone so i let the other passengers go up to the town and was quietly pulled ashore in a boat and left to myself the recollections and the emotions all were sad and only sad fugit interea fugit irreparable tempus the past was real the present all about me was unreal unnatural repellent i saw the big ships lying in the stream the alert the california the rosa with her italians then the handsome ayacucho my favorite the poor dear old pilgrim the home of hardship and hopelessness the boats passing to and fro the cries of the sailors at the capstan or falls the peopled beach the large hide-houses with their gangs of men and the kanakas interspersed everywhere all all were gone not a vestige to mark where one hide-house stood the oven too was gone i searched for its site and found where i thought it should be a few broken bricks and bits of mortar i alone was left of all and how strangely was i here what changes to me where were they all why should i care for them poor kanakas and sailors the refuse of civilization the outlaws and beachcombers of the pacific time and death seemed to transfigure them doubtless nearly all were dead but how had they died and where in hospitals in fever climes in dens of vice or falling from the mast or dropping exhausted from the wreck when for a moment like a drop of rain he sinks into thy depths with bubbling groan without a grave unknelled uncoffined and unknown 
the light-hearted boys are now hardened middle-aged men if the seas rocks fevers and the deadlier enemies that beset a sailor's life on shore have spared them and the then strong men have bowed themselves and the earth or sea has covered them even the animals are gone the colony of dogs the broods of poultry the useful horses but the coyotes bark still in the woods for they belong not to man and are not touched by his changes i walked slowly up the hill finding my way among the few bushes for the path was long grown over and sat down where we used to rest in carrying our burdens of wood and to look out for vessels that might though so seldom be coming down from the windward to rally myself by calling to mind my own better fortune and nobler lot and cherished surroundings at home was impossible borne down by depression the day being yet at its noon and the sun over the old point it is four miles to the town the presidio i have walked it often and can do it once more i passed the familiar objects and it seemed to me that i remembered them better than those of any other place i had ever been in the opening to the little cave the low hills where we cut wood and killed rattlesnakes and where our dogs chased the coyotes and the black ground where so many of the ship's crew and beachcombers used to bring up on their return at the end of a liberty day and spend the night sub jove the little town of san diego has undergone no change whatever that i can see it certainly has not grown it is still like santa barbara a mexican town the four principal houses of the gente de razon of the bandinis estudillos arguellos and picos are the chief houses now but all the gentlemen and their families too i believe are gone the big vulgar shopkeeper and trader fitch is long since dead tom Ridington, who kept the rival pulperia fell from his horse when drunk and was found nearly eaten up by coyotes and i can scarce find a person whom i remember i went into a familiar one-story adobe house with its piazza and earthen floor inhabited by a respectable lower-class family by the name of muchado and inquired if any of the family remained when a bright-eyed middle-aged woman recognized me for she had heard i was on board the steamer and told me she had married a shipmate of mine jack stewart who went out as second mate the next voyage but left the ship and married and settled here she said he wished very much to see me in a few minutes he came in and his sincere pleasure in meeting me was extremely grateful we talked over old times as long as i could afford to i was glad to hear that he was sober and doing well doña tomasa pico i found and talked with she was the only person of the old upper class that remained on the spot if i rightly recollect i found an american family here with whom i dined doyle and his wife nice young people doyle agent for the great line of coaches to run to the frontier of the old states i must complete my acts of pious remembrance so i take a horse and make a run out to the old mission where ben stimson and i went the first liberty day we had after we left boston ante page one hundred fifteen all has gone to decay the buildings are unused and ruinous and the large gardens show now only wild cactuses, willows, and a few olive trees. 
a fast run brings me back in time to take leave of the few i knew and who knew me and to reach the steamer before she sails a last look yes last for life to the beach the hills the low point the distant town as we round point loma and the first beams of the lighthouse strike out towards the setting sun wednesday august twenty fourth at anchor at san pedro by daylight but instead of being roused out of the forecastle to row the longboat ashore and to bring off a load of hides before breakfast we were served with breakfast in the cabin and again took our drive with the wild horses to the pueblo and spent the day seeing nearly the same persons as before and again getting back by dark we steamed again for santa barbara where we only lay an hour and passed through its canal and round point conception stopping at san luis obispo to land my friend as i truly may call him after this long passage together captain wilson whose most earnest invitation to stop here and visit him at his rancho i was obliged to decline friday evening twenty sixth august we entered the golden gate passed the lighthouses and forts and clipper ships at anchor and came to our dock with this great city on its high hills and rising surfaces brilliant before us and full of eager life making san francisco my headquarters i paid visits to various parts of the state down the bay to santa clara with its live oaks and sycamores and its jesuit college for boys and san jose where is the best girls school in the state kept by the sisters of notre dame a town now famous for a year's session of the legislature of a thousand drinks and thence to the rich almaden quicksilver mines returning on the contra costa side through the rich agricultural country with its ranchos and the vast grants of the castro and soto families where farming and fruit raising are done on so large a scale another excursion was up the san joaquin to stockton a town of some ten thousand inhabitants a hundred miles from san francisco and crossing the tulumne and stanislaus and merced by the little spanish town of hornitos and snelling's tavern at the ford of the merced where so many fatal fights were had thence i went to mariposa county and colonel fremont's mines and made an interesting visit to the colonel as he is called all over the country and mrs fremont a heroine equal to either fortune the salons of paris and the drawing-rooms of new york and washington or the roughest life of the remote and wild mining regions of mariposa with their fine family of spirited clever children after a rest there we went on to clark's camp and the big trees where i measured one tree ninety-seven feet in circumference without its bark and the bark is usually eighteen inches thick and rode through another which lay on the ground a shell with all the insides out rode through it mounted and sitting at full height in the saddle then to the wonderful yosemite valley itself a stupendous miracle of nature with its dome its capitan its walls of three thousand feet of perpendicular height but a valley of streams of waterfalls from the torrent to the mere shimmer of a bridal veil only enough to reflect a rainbow with their plunges of twenty-five hundred feet or their smaller falls of eight hundred with nothing at the base but thick mists which form and trickle and then run and at last plunge into the bloomer said that flows through the centre of the valley 
back by the Coulterville Trail, the peaks of Sierra Nevada in sight, across the North Fork of the Merced, by Gentry's Gulch, over hills and through canyons, to Fremont's again, and thence to Stockton and San Francisco, all this at the end of August, when there has been no rain for four months, and the air is dear and very hot, and the ground perfectly dry. Windmills, to raise water for artificial irrigation of small patches, seen all over the landscape, while we travel through square miles of hot dust, where they tell us, and truly, that in winter and early spring we should be up to our knees in flowers. A country, too, where surface gold-digging is so common and unnoticed, that the large six-horse stagecoach in which I travelled from Stockton to Hornitos, turned off in the high road for a Chinaman, who, with his pan and washer, was working up a hole which an American had abandoned, but where the minute and patient industry of the Chinaman averaged a few dollars a day. These visits were so full of interest, with grandeurs and humours of all sorts, that I am strongly tempted to describe them. But I remember that I am not to write a journal of a visit over the new California, but to sketch briefly the contrasts with the old spots of 1835-6, and I forbear. How strange and eventful has been the brief history of this marvellous city, San Francisco. In 1835 there was one board shanty. In 1836 one adobe house in the same spot. In 1847 a population of 450 persons, who organized a town government. Then came the Aurisaca Fames, the flocking together of many of the worst spirits of Christendom. A sudden birth of a city of canvas and boards, entirely destroyed by fire five times in eighteen months, with a loss of sixteen millions of dollars, and as often rebuilt, until it became a solid city of brick and stone, of nearly one hundred thousand inhabitants, with all the accompaniments of wealth and culture, and now, in 1859, the most quiet and well-governed city of its size in the United States. But it has been through its season of heaven-defying crime, violence, and blood, from which it was rescued and handed back to soberness, morality, and good government, by that peculiar invention of the Anglo-Saxon Republican America, the solemn, awe-inspiring vigilance committee of the most grave and responsible citizens, the last resort of the thinking and the good, taken to only when vice, fraud, and ruffianism have entrenched themselves beyond the forms of law, suffrage, and ballot, and there is no hope but in organized force, whose action must be instant and thorough, or its state will be worse than before. A history of the passage of this city through these ordeals, and through its almost incredible financial extremes, should be written by a pen which not only accuracy shall govern, but imagination shall inspire. I cannot pause for the civility of referring to the many kind attentions I received, and the society of educated men and women from all parts of the Union I met with. Where New England, the Carolinas, Virginia, and the New West sat side by side with English, French, and German civilization. My stay in California was interrupted by an absence of nearly four months, when I sailed for the Sandwich Islands in the noble Boston clipper-ship Mastiff, which was burned at sea to the water's edge. We escaping in boats, 
and carried by a friendly British bark into Honolulu, whence, after a deeply interesting visit of three months in that most fascinating group of islands, with its natural and its moral wonders, I returned to San Francisco in an American whaler, and found myself again in my quarters on the morning of Sunday, December 11th, 1859. My first visit after my return was to Sacramento, a city of about 40,000 inhabitants, more than a hundred miles inland from San Francisco, on the Sacramento, where was the capital of the state, and where were fleets of river steamers, and a large inland commerce. Here I saw the inauguration of a governor, Mr. Latham, a young man from Massachusetts, much my junior, and met a member of the state senate, a man who, as a carpenter, repaired my father's house at home some ten years before, and two more senators from Southern California, relics of another age, Don Andres Pico from San Diego, and Don Pablo de la Guerra, whom I have mentioned as meeting at Santa Barbara. I had a good deal of conversation with these gentlemen, who stood alone in an assembly of Americans who had conquered their country, spared pillars of the past. Don Andres had fought us at San Pascual and Sepulveda's Rancho in 1846, and as he fought bravely, not a common thing among the Mexicans, and indeed repulsed Kearney, is always treated with respect. He had the satisfaction, dear to the proud Spanish heart, of making a speech before a Senate of Americans, in favor of the retention in office of an officer of our army who was wounded at San Pasqual, and whom some wretched caucus was going to displace to carry out a political job. Don Andres's magnanimity and indignation carried the day. My last visit in this part of the country was to a new and rich farming region, the Napa Valley, the United States Navy Yard at Mare Island, the River Gold Workings, and the geysers, and old Mr. John Yount's rancho. On board the steamer found Mr. Edward Stanley, formerly member of Congress from North Carolina, who became my companion for the greater part of the trip. I also met, a revival on the spot of an acquaintance of twenty years ago, Don Guadalupe Vallejo. I may say acquaintance, for although I was then before the mast, he knew my story, and, as he spoke English well, used to hold many conversations with me, when in the boat or on shore. He received me with true earnestness, and would not hear of my passing his estate without visiting him. He reminded me of a remark I made to him once, when pulling him ashore in the boat, when he was commandant at the Presidio. I learned that the two Vallejos, Guadalupe and Salvador, owned, at an early time, nearly all Napa and Sonoma, having princely estates. But they have not much left. They were nearly ruined by their bargain with the state that they would put up the public buildings if the capital should be placed at Vallejo, then a town of some promise. They spent one hundred thousand dollars. The capital was moved there, and in two years removed to San Jose on another contract. The town fell to pieces and the houses, chiefly wooden, were taken down and removed. I accepted the old gentleman's invitation so far as to stop at Vallejo to breakfast. The United States Navy Yard at Mare Island, near Vallejo, is large and well-placed, with deep fresh water. 
the old independence and the sloop decatur and two steamers were there and they were experimenting on building a dispatch boat the saginaw of california timber i have no excuse for attempting to describe my visit through the fertile and beautiful napa valley nor even what exceeded that in interest my visit to old john yount at his rancho where i heard from his own lips some of his most interesting stories of hunting and trapping and indian fighting during an adventurous life of forty years of such work between our back settlements in missouri and arkansas and the mountains of california trapping in colorado and gila and his celebrated dream thrice repeated which led him to organize a party to go out over the mountains that did actually rescue from death by starvation the wretched remnants of the donner party i must not pause for the dreary country of the geysers the screaming escapes of steam the sulphur the boiling cauldrons of black and yellow and green and the region of gehenna through which runs a quiet stream of pure water nor for the park scenery and captivating ranchos of the napa valley where farming is done on so grand a scale where i have seen a man plough a furrow by little red flags on sticks to keep his range by until nearly out of sight and where the wits tell us he returns the next day on the back furrow a region where at christmas time i have seen old strawberries still on the vines by the side of vines in full blossom for the next crop and grapes in the same stages and open windows and yet a grateful wood-fire on the hearth in early morning nor for the titanic operations of hydraulic surface mining where large mountain streams are diverted from their ancient beds and made to do the work beyond the reach of all other agents of washing out valleys and carrying away hills and changing the whole surface of the country to expose the stores of gold hidden for centuries in the darkness of their earthly depths january tenth eighteen sixty i am again in san francisco and my revisit to california is closed i have touched too lightly and rapidly for much impression upon the reader on my last visit into the interior but as i have said in a mere continuation to a narrative of a seafaring life on the coast i am only to carry the reader with me on a visit to those scenes in which the public has long manifested so gratifying an interest but it seemed to me that slight notices of these entirely new parts of the country would not be out of place for they serve to put in strong contrast with the solitudes of eighteen thirty five to six the developed interior with its mines and agricultural wealth and rapidly filling population and its large cities so far from the coast with their education religion arts and trade on the morning of the eleventh january eighteen sixty i passed for the eighth time through the golden gate on my way across the delightful pacific to the oriental world with its civilization three thousand years older than that i was leaving behind as the shores of california faded in the distance and the summits of the coast range sank under the blue horizon i bade farewell yes i do not doubt for ever to those scenes which however changed or unchanged must always possess an ineffable interest for me End of epilogue part two